0: about the job that Jim has done at Ripon. He yeah. <laughs> continues to raise the bar. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing, Jim. You just keep taking this to, to new heights. Congratulations. So uh, only because of my leaders. So. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, what a pleasure it is for me to introduce our, our speaker today, uh, Steve Scalise, our Majority Whip. Uh, we share a common bond. We are both of Italian-American heritage. Thank you. three of us in the room. And I don't know what it took because, you know, I, how long have I been chairman or co-chairman of this group now? Uh, five years. And I think this is the first Italian lunch we've had, Steve. So thanks to you, obviously, that we had a, an Italian themed lunch today, so we do appreciate that. Congressman Scalise was first elected in a special election. Some of you may remember that in May of 2008. Uh, After four more successful re-elections, today he's in his fifth term in office, having emerged as one of the most important conservative voices and pillars of our Republican conference. He's known as a strong leader. He's advocated for principles of fiscal discipline, lower taxes, a national energy policy, ethics reform, strong national defense, and traditional family values. Before becoming the majority whip last year, you all know that Mr. Scalise served as chairman of the Republican Study Committee, and under his leadership grew its ranks to over 170 members of our conference. Prior to his election to Congress, Mr. Scalise was a member of both the Louisiana State House and State Senate from 1996 until 2008. He served in multiple chairmanships and committees in both of those chambers. And it's uh, important to note that Mr. Scalise is a proud graduate of the Louisiana State University Tigers, we'll yeah, yep, yeah. yeah. and a two-time speaker of LSU's Student Government Association. I will tell you, it was um, a very fun day on January 1st uh, that I had in SEC country. <laughs> <laughs> I understand you were on vacation. <laughs> outside of uh, outside the state, but it was... Um, we we'll Alabama, so we'll give you that. <laughs> in fact, uh, Steve and I haven't talked about this, uh, in the suite that I had uh, an opportunity to be in, uh, was a Louisiana a supporter of yours and a Louisiana State a guy as well, and he was all but too happy to, to uh, be cheering against Alabama, I will tell you, <laughs> uh, on that particular day. So um, it is uh, with great pleasure, and even more importantly, great pride, that I introduce to you, our majority whip, Steve Scalise. Well,
1: thanks for uh, braving the weather and uh, you know managing through this blizzard to uh, to be here. And uh, My paisan and friend, we uh, we enjoy eating the ravioli together, and uh, I want to thank Rep. Bon, especially Jim, for his leadership. And, represents we've, uh, we've worked together on a lot of things we had the uh the roommate uh luncheon a few uh a few years ago and we're still giving our uh, our landlord friend a hard time about the rent being too high right <laughs> we, uh, we've been uh we've been very busy the last few weeks the last few months and i think when when the house majority grew in size and then we got uh, majority in the senate uh, we realized we're going to have some great opportunities to move and advance the, the agenda that we've had, that we've uh, been pushing through the House, and Pat's worked on a lot of these bills. A lot of us advanced bills to get the economy back on track, to try to to help spur job creation and solve some of the problems that our country's been facing. And so many of those bills just went nowhere, and you know people across the country don't see Congress taking up issues because they don't see the House and Senate moving bills simultaneously. And I don't think there was a there was a shift in the country where they said we want to give. Give this uh, an opportunity. Give people a, a chance to to go and see if y'all can move bills through Congress to the President's desk, and hopefully get uh, get back to a place where we can have Washington function and can work for real people. And in the Whip's office, of course, we're most directly uh, tied to ensuring that when a bill is going to come up on the House floor, that is uh, is something that the majority wants to advance, that it's going to have the 218 votes to pass. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people have asked, uh, you know, about what is your your style is whip, and you know I guess you know when I became whip, it was it was a big milestone, and a lot of people back home were excited about it, and you know and then I became the answer on a Jeopardy question yesterday, and I got texts from people that didn't have any concern that I was the whip, they just. Didn't up on that, and one of my college roommates was actually contestant on Jeopardy! So when Jim read that question, I uh, my phone was blowing up yesterday. <laughs> when the question. It was the Daily Double, by the way. Uh, Contested that answer got it right. So <laughs> I glad about that. She, she made like $5,000 and went in the first place. So it was, uh, it was a good day all around. But, uh, I like to say every day is a good day. you, know, when you look out the window and you see the Washington Monument, uh, no matter how bad your day is, you know, you got to you got to appreciate what uh, what, what that's all about and, and just how historic this opportunity is for us to uh, to be able to, to go and, and solve real problems and so you know as, as whip, one of the things I've tried to do is to bring different uh, groups of members in to, to keep the pulse of where the members are and, and to try to anticipate problems before they happen and uh, you know we've worked on a lot of uh, very heady issues we've had immigration which is a very complex issue for our conference, uh, for the country as a whole, and we've been able to to pass some good bills on immigration out of the House. We've dealt with the, the proper funding of government. We've uh, you know we're going to be taking up a number of other bills in the weeks ahead. And We've dealt with a lot of uh, a lot of economic issues and, and, and jobs and, and energy issues. And if you look at, at where we are, we just had a retreat a few weeks ago, and uh, one of the things that I I presented because each of the leaders gives a presentation. We had the Senate in there with us too. and we had over 200 members of the House at the Republican conference retreat, and we had over 45 members of the Senate that came, which I thought was very historic, uh, that you had the House and Senate there together. I thought it was not only a good symbol, but it was a good opportunity for a lot of us to build in stronger relationships uh, with senators. Of course, a lot of, a lot of the, uh, the House members that have gone over to the Senate over the years we stay in touch with. But there are a lot of Senators that House members have never even met before. And the Senators were not just all hanging out by themselves. They are actually uh, talking to and sitting by and, uh, you know, really getting to know a lot of the House members. And I think that, that bodes well for a good ability for us to, to advance the, uh, the things that we think are important to get the country back on track and to be successful at it uh, because I think people have been frustrated with, uh, with the, the slow pace over the last few years. And so if you look just out of the box, you know, we're in our third week. Uh, our first week we passed the bill on Keystone Pipeline, bill that couldn't get to 60 votes last year, got to 59 and never could cross that burden, and all of a sudden they break 63, uh, they bring the bill up to the floor, and, and now in the third week they're hopefully coming close to wrapping it up, but it shows you just how long it takes over the Senate, how different their chamber is, a bill that took us maybe five hours on the floor to pass out of the House with a large bipartisan vote. Uh, is now in its third week and still being debated, but I think one number that's really interesting is the number 28. Uh, yesterday marked 28 different amendments that have been voted on by the Senate just on one bill, a keystone. Uh, three of them have already passed. You know, They'll take up more. We'll see what the bill ultimately looks like. But the fact that they processed 28 uh, shouldn't be something that excites everybody, except you look at the fact that that's more amendment votes than the entire 2014 calendar year the Senate took. So on one bill, in three weeks, the Senate's already had more amendments on the floor that have been voted on by the members than the entire calendar year 2014, and that really shows you uh, what the disconnect was last year. You know, whether Harry Reid thought he was going to protect all of his vulnerable members by not having to vote on tough votes, fr- frankly, the fact is that pretty much all of those vulnerable members lost anyway, uh, and they didn't take up any of those issues. They didn't have any of those tough votes, and I think it shows you people want us to go make tough decisions. They want us to make the tough decisions and they're hungry for that kind of bold leadership you know all of us make sacrifices you know Pat was in Ohio love to stay home with his family my son yesterday had his first soccer game he's five years old I would have love to been at Harrison's soccer game last night but we we sacrifice and we come up here because we believe passionately in what needs to be done to get our country back on track and all of our members feel that way and to deny them the opportunity to go and, and engage in that debate and, and bring these issues forward and, and confront the challenges that our country faces, and that frankly they expect us to, to confront. That's what we're here to do. And, and we can all go back home and explain what it is that we're working on, but if you're not confronting those challenges, that's where you're going to have trouble. And I think the fact that you look at that, that number of votes that the Senate's taken, you know, some people say, oh, they had to take some hard votes. Well, you know what? That's why we're here. And, and so I think it's encouraging if you look at where we are, where we're headed, and some of the things we talked about in our retreat, and what I wanted to lay out to our membership was exactly how we get bills through the process and ultimately onto the President's desk, because that's the real objective is to advance bills that, that solve these problems that people are facing and get them onto the President's desk and hopefully signs them. Hopefully he wants to be more like Bill Clinton than than an ideologue and, and he wants to work with the Republican Congress. And, and look. They never wanted, all these candidates that were tough races, nobody wanted Barack Obama in their district because of where his popularity is. But everybody wanted Bill Clinton. Well, why is Bill Clinton popular still to this day? Because he balanced the budget, he got the economy moving again, he did welfare reform. All those were ideas that he didn't support initially. And and so what I wanted to do is show our members just what it looks like to have a Republican House and Senate with a Democrat president, how you can still accomplish big things. And I use the model of welfare reform because still to this day almost 20 years after it was signed by president clinton that's still considered one of the great conservative achievements we're able to reform a mandatory entitlement program and we actually helped get people out of poverty they didn't start that back in the 90s and they didn't put it in the contract with america because they said you know let's get these green eye shades on and see how we can save a lot of money it absolutely saved a lot of money 54 billion dollars was the savings that was attached to it but what was more significant is that they saw that there was a, a program, a federal program, that had been going on for decades that wasn't achieving its purpose. It wasn't helping people get out of poverty. In fact, many would argue, and you could show with data, that, that it increased poverty. And so welfare reform comes and passes, and they said all these demonistic things about how it wouldn't work, how, how it was going to hurt people, and what was the result? We can actually go and look at it. Fifty percent drop in, in welfare caseloads. But you had a almost two-thirds increase And mothers who had never been married before that got into the workforce, kids that got out of poverty. That's what welfare reform was all about. Actually, help people, help pull people out of poverty. But it was a fight. And I wanted to show the members, because over 90% of our conference was not there when welfare reform went through. And when those kind of big things got done with a divided government, Republican House and Senate and Democrat president. So walk through the whole process. It took a year and a half from when the bill was originally filed in January of ninety-five until it was finally signed into law in 2006, in June. And, and it was a great achievement. Uh, but to see all of the iterations of changes, the first veto uh, that was done through reconciliation, which shows why it's important to have a budget, and us to do a budget not only in the House, as we've done for the last four years, but to actually have a willing participant in the Senate where we can get a reconciliation process in place, and how that actually helps us advance good conservative policy to the president's desk. Uh, they used that reconciliation process uh, to get welfare reform uh, to the president's desk. And just to show that it takes discipline, it takes focus, and it takes, it takes a real uh, relentless ability to pursue your objectives. And they did that. And it wasn't easy, but ultimately they had a focus and they said, we're not going to stop working until we get it done. That kind of persistence is how you actually change this country for the better and so for our members that haven't seen that process before i think it's important that we go and reflect back on how we do great things uh, so that we know how to continue to do great things and we've got a lot of those opportunities and again you can just see with this first uh, with this first vote that's coming on keystone it's an opportunity to get a bill of president's that's that creates over forty thousand jobs uh, there's a bill we're going to be taking up tomorrow on lng exports i've seen it in south louisiana the first lng export facility in the country that's been permitted is the Chenier facility out in Lake Charles, Louisiana. I went toward it. There's billions of dollars of private investment to build that facility. And there's billions more in private investment to create more facilities like that with 70, 80,000 jobs by some estimates that would come from that. And yet we've got this permitting process that makes absolutely no sense. And the Department of Energy can take all the time they want, and you get have all the financing but if you're behind a couple of projects that have absolutely no financing in the queue, then you're just going to sit there and wait and wait and wait. Maybe by the time you come up, the financing's gone. That's a ridiculous process that's killing jobs in this country. So we have a bill that says you're going to have a shot clock on the federal bureaucrats. You know, in private industry, you're given timelines on everything from when you have to file taxes to when you have to comply with certain regulations, and yet the administration, if you do everything right, and fill out all your paperwork and turn it in, you could wait for years. And so we tell the agency, that's not acceptable. You have 30 days to give a decision. And let's get billions of dollars more investment moving in our economy. There's so many good examples like that of bills that have, by the way, bipartisan support. These are not partisan issues. There are clearly some partisan issues, and we're going to work through those too. But there are a lot of bipartisan issues to get the economy moving again that you just never saw Congress confront. Because even if the House passed a bill and we had 50, 60, 70 Democrats on it, It never went anywhere in the Senate, and so for most people in America who want us to solve these problems, they never saw it happen. And they never saw that bill get to the president's desk, and that's going to change. It's going to change for the better for this country, And, and so we wanted to show the members just how it can be done because we want to do it again. We want to replicate that successful model over and over again in the next two years and lead into the presidential race where people actually start seeing Uh, what those bold ideas we have are and how they're going to help real people uh, not only get out of poverty but be able to achieve the american dream be able to to, to move up and be able to advance in their lives and and address the problems that they really care about so that's what we're going to be working on Uh, i'm excited about that opportunity it's not going to be easy uh, but you know that's the great part of what we get to do is we get to come up here and confront these challenges and work with people sometimes you have disagreements with people but at the end of the day, you work through the problems, and you get them solved, and then you move on to the next one. And there are more than enough of them for us to work on. So, uh, you know, I appreciate what the Ripmont Society does to highlight these. And, you know, we had the hearing with the FCC last week. Appreciate y'all sending that out because it, I think it's a frightening thought to a lot of people that, you know, for one of the great successful sectors in our economy, the technology sector, it's grown, and I'm, my degree's in computer science, so I've always said one of the reasons the technology sector's done so well is because government hadn't figured out how to slow it down and regulate it <laughs> where it can't succeed. And, and yet, here you got the FCC coming in and saying, you know what, the internet's working so well, we're gonna fix it. <laughs> and my God, that shivering thought that goes through people, and the billions of dollars of private investment that that can freeze up the jobs that will be created uh, that we'll never see if you have the government come in with a heavy hand and do things the wrong way, and so what we said was, let's take a different approach. Let's look at this the right way. Uh, and, and hopefully we see a lot more opportunities like that, too. So I know we're going to uh, take some questions, so I will uh, stop talking now and let you all uh, fire away.
0: Uh, Chairman Tiberi, you can either have the first question or the last question, <laughs> since you did such a great job introducing my whip.
1: All right. But very good. The last answer if he gets the last question. <laughs> Ralph Hellman, thank you very much. Great. So, uh, Congressman Tiberi, you're a son of Italian immigrants, if I recall, and you're a great, 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 great grandson. grandson. You know, we we're a nation of immigrants. We're proud of our heritage, but we have this problem with dealing with illegal immigration, and I think Republicans have maybe inappropriately been tagged as anti immigrant. How do we break out of that? How do we? move on immigration reform that's positive that shows that we're a nation that uh, values legal immigration but might be tough on, on what, what's the next step do we i know we've got dhs approach are we going to move other portions of the immigration reform debate are we all or are we just going to be permanently stuck on this battle with obama on the executive order yeah i, I think you're already seeing this process start and, and obviously if you, if you look i mean immigration's made our country great and, and my great-grandparents came here from italy and they where indentured <laughs> servants worked on a uh, sugar, uh, sugar cane uh, plantation in Louisiana, in South Louisiana, Garyville, actually, where there's an oil refinery there now where uh, where that, that sugar cane plantation was. You know, and they came here because times were tough in, in Sicily, where they came from, and they wanted a better opportunity, they wanted a shot at the American dream, and there was a legal way to come here that worked really well. And that American dream still exists, and, and that opportunity, we still want uh, to be there for, for the next generation of immigrants that are going to help continue to make our country great, uh, but the problem is that the system doesn't work right now. The legal system is very broken, and so what we're working on right now is, is focusing on fixing the things that don't work on the legal side, so they it can, it can function again properly. And the first step is to, to get back to rule of law. Let's you know let's first recognize. I mean, we are a nation of laws, and the president can't make up the law. And he acknowledged this himself over 20 times uh, over the years uh, that he can't unilaterally do what now he's proposed to do uh, in, in his executive actions. And so we stood up a few weeks ago and passed legislation that was tied to the funding bill for the Department of Homeland Security that says uh, the president can't just make up his own laws on, uh, on issuing uh, these certificates on amnesty. He's got to work with Congress. He even said so himself 22 different times. So let's get back to that. Now we're working on a border security bill because you talk to most people across the country. Uh, they will, you know, everybody's got their own opinion on various uh, areas of immigration reform, but most people will recognize that the first thing you want is secure the border. Now let's get back to a, a system that works again, and you'll eliminate a lot of your other problems on the illegal side if you just go and have a, a standard rule of the game. And there, there are millions of people that right now are waiting in line to come to this country legally. We ought to respect that. We ought to celebrate that and actually reward the people that are playing by the rules right now. And, and it makes it real complicated and actually makes it harder if you've got a system where going around the rules actually gets you here quicker than playing by the rules. And that's that's what we're trying to get back to is that rule of law that functions. And, and so there are a lot of steps that we want to take, but it starts with just get back to a normal functioning legal immigration system. All the way over here. Jameson, go ahead. Yeah. Thank you
0: again for the speech. Um, uh, just had a question. It's, for the past four years, it seems like it would be easy to fall into a kind of fortress mentality in the House, where it's us against the President, us against the Senate. So most of the actions that we took were probably in some sense to our benefit. So now that we have our friends in the Senate, how do we avoid friendly fire, make sure that we're not doing, doing actions for you know, ourselves at the expense of our?
1: Yeah, and you know, this is this is always going to be a challenge because there's this just this natural friction between the House and the Senate because the bodies are so different. Uh, you know, we can move a lot quicker, uh, as, as was the example of Keystone, uh, just how quickly we can move, just with limitations they've got. They've got to get to 60 votes to do most things. Uh, but at the same time, I think uh, this gets to a focus on what we're trying to achieve. And, and I'll go back to that welfare reform example again because... They could have easily at so many steps along the way. Uh, as the bill went over initially uh, from the House, which had over $300 billion in, in savings, it had actually a link between TANF funding and Medicaid. It, it did a lot of devolution to the states to, to allow states to have a lot more flexibility on Medicaid, which is something we still would like to see today. I think would actually help dramatically improve uh, what's so broken with Medicaid today. But as it went over to the Senate, that all dropped out. Uh, and then it came back to the House very different with uh, a, a lot less uh, big, you know, big benefits and savings to, uh, to people that, that, that were being hurt by the old way of doing things. But they never had their internal fights, which they had, they never let them become public, And they kept the focus on getting a bill to the president's desk. Because at the end of the day, if you focus on personality, that's where you're going to break down. That's where you're not going to be able to accomplish your, your goals. Uh, because you can always find, oh, I didn't like what this person said, or that person filed an amendment I didn't like you got to get this out of the realm of, of personalities and get it to the policy and focus on your main objectives. You've got core principles you should always be trying to, to achieve and as negotiations go on, you, you keep your focus on getting those core principles intact all the way through the process. But ultimately, our, our goal should be not just passing a bill in the House, it should be getting a bill that, that advances our objectives to the President's desk and then hopefully public pressure builds along the way as it did with welfare reform. Bill Clinton didn't want to sign it. In fact, vetoed it the first two times, only signed the third bill because the the vote count increased every step along the way to where by the third time it passed the House it had a veto-proof majority. It was a party-line vote the very first time out of the House. By the third iteration, public support was building over that year and a half, and then it passed with a veto-proof majority, and then lo and behold, the President signs the bill. So let's get the public engaged in this too. And, and the focus ought to be on the policy. Get the personalities out of it. Let's focus on the policy and then just work every day, night and day, until we get it done.
0: Thanks. Following up on that in terms of getting things to the President's <coughs>
1: desk and working together and personalities aside, Ambassador Furman's up on the Hill today testifying on the President's trade agenda. Could you share with us just how
0: you think it's going to play out in the, in the House in terms of timing and with the objective, obviously, of getting something to the President's
1: desk. Sure. And, you know, when the President gave a State in the Union last week, uh, the leaders got to meet with him before the speech, and one of the things I told him was being floated out that he was going to be talking about trade. Clearly, there were a lot of things he said in the speech that I strongly oppose and think would be worse exactly. for our economy than where we already are, but trade was one of those areas where there, there is going to be a lot of Republican support. And, uh, and Pat can obviously talk to this because a lot of this will go through his committee. Uh, but this is going to be a case where, if trade uh, if trade passes, if we get a TPA agreement, it's going to be primarily Republican votes in the House that get it across the line. And you know, the president's got a responsibility to go and sell the case to the American people, and frankly, to his to his own party to help deliver some votes to get us there. But if you look historically over past trade agreements. It's, it's been largely Republicans that support free trade and, and the Democrats in, in, the, in the House and Senate have been less willing to be there. So, I think we've got a great opportunity to work together to get something really good done. I mean, I represent some of Southeast Louisiana and, you know, the port of New Orleans and the Mississippi River runs through my district. Uh, you know, the opportunities we have to export more goods uh, that, that manufacturers all across our country will benefit from, are, are very significant, uh, but it'll be it'll be a uh, it'll be a strong sell that the president's going to have to make uh, if this is going to work. So I'd sure like to see it happen. Uh, I'm happy to help to make it happen, uh, but the president's going to have to do his part too, and it's going to be a good test to see if if he can you know get beyond the, the political rhetoric and the campaign mode and actually roll up his sleeves and work with us to do something. That's going to be tough, but really good and important for our country and our economy.
0: Pat Barry, I think you get the last question. Just got the hook from
1: John. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll
0: talk later. <laughs> so next season, football season.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, All right, so the balls, the balls
0: have been <laughs> properly <laughs> inflated. <laughs> Can LSU top
1: Alabama in the standings? Absolutely. LSU will win. We're going to have most of our players returning. We've got some better players coming. Um, I was in the Superdome when we won one of our national titles against the Ohio State University, but <laughs> Alabama, Alabama, y'all might actually play against us in the national title game as you try to defend. Uh, but uh, we will beat Alabama next year, and, and I think LSU will compete for the national title, and hopefully we can meet each other in that championship game, and, and we'll have fun. Joy fundraiser. Well, that's fun. <laughs> a good Italian to you
0: restaurant.
1: Your- <laughs> <laughs> tough questions. Thank you very much, Steve.